Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service at Ecclesia. And I'm one of the elders here. My name is Michael Prendergast. Been an elder for a short time, but trying to grow into the role. So, yeah, help me. <laughs> so we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. We're going through the, making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, the series we're going through is called Grow Up. Grow Up. And today we're going to be looking at, well, continuing. Richie left off, um, took us up to verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to go from verse 10 to 16. And I was searching for a title for this message, and I couldn't come up with one. So it's just going to be a straight marriage and divorce. So today we're talking marriage and divorce, and what that actually means for the Christian. So by way of introduction, how many of you know that a whopping 42% of marriages in England and Wales end in divorce? 42%. That's near enough half of the people that get married, their marriage actually ends in divorce. Do you know that the first working Monday after the Christmas break is widely dubbed as Divorce Day? It's dubbed this by lawyers who typically see a spike in people considering divorce. This is when solicitors across the across the country handle more inquiries from couples unhappy in their marriages. Troubles after the Christmas break are the main reason why married couples decide to split in the new year. Relationship charity Relate says it receives a peak in calls in January's, January as tension comes to a head over the Christmas where families are pushed to boiling point. Amicable, which is another relationship charity says that on divorce day the internet searches regarding divorce peak you see when you're back at work and the the bank balances are low and tension is high in the home i mean we think of covid19 and i'm sure when we come out of this you know um, we're going to see a spike where you know couples have been pushed together in the in the married home the wife the kids and no work and struggles and, and all that thing, all those things to consider. I believe we're going to see a, a, a spike in divorce. So, in this chapter, Paul continues answering questions written to him by the Corinthian Christians. These questions now centre around our topic today, marriage and divorce. In today's verses, Paul will address three groups. The first group is in verses 10 and 11. They are believers who are married to, un to unhappy believers. Believers married to unhappy believers. The second group are in verses 12 to 14. They are believers who are married to happy unbelievers. And in the third group, they're in verses 15 and 16. They are believers who are married to unhappy unbelievers. 
So let's pray and get into today's text. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your grace to each and every one of us in our marriages, in our lives, whether we're single, married, whatever it is, we thank you for your grace, Lord. And Lord, we pray for today's message. Pray that you'd give me the words to speak, not what I want to convey to to the congregation, but what you want to con convey this Sunday, Lord. And Lord, as we make our way through your word, we pray that you would continue to disciple us, continue to nurture us, continue to pour wisdom and knowledge and, and educate us in your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Apostle Paul was aware of the problems of divorce within the Corinthian church because it was reported to him and he had witnessed it with his own eyes. Rampant divorce had entered the church by way of some rules and customs among the Jews and the Gentiles. It was allowed for divorce, sorry, it, yeah, it was allowed for divorce and separation for any trivial matter. It was not only husbands divorcing their wives, but wives also left their husbands, although in former times, Jewish women were not allowed to divorce their husbands or to leave their husbands. But the practice had crept in from the culture around them. A wife could leave her husband for almost any reason, even if she didn't like him or she decided that she liked someone else. Can I make it clear as I share today that I'm not trying to pick on anyone. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I know that this can be a, a very painful subject. And this is not an intellectual pursuit. It's a very personal and painful experience that has touched many lives. And so we need, so there's a need for sensitivity to everyone as I share. Again, as a church, we are obligated to share the whole counsel of God and be willing to consider what the text is saying about this very important issue of our time. So today we're going to be looking at, as I said, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, sorry, chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. So let me read those verses to you. We're going to be reading from the ESV. Verse 10, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Verse 12, to the rest I say, not I, sorry, I, not the Lord. Let's get that clear. Paul's talking, not the Lord that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Verse 13, And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, 
Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Verse 16. For now, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So let's look at the first group. Number one, it is the believers who are married to unhappy believers. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, in these verses, Paul is talking about married couples where both of them are Christians. Two Christians that are married. Now, this doesn't mean that single people, you can zone out now. Start scrolling through your Facebook and, 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 and Twitter accounts with the mindset that, well, I'm not married. Moreover, what's this message got to do with me? Well, here are some things for you to ponder. Are you unmarried but in a relationship? Are you single but have a desire to be married one day? Maybe you believe that God, God has given you the gift of singleness. Well, how do you know that you won't meet the Christian in your dreams and change your mind? Here are some other considerations. You may go through some of these issues spoken about in your marriage one day. You may even know someone who is going through some serious problems in their marriage that are not familiar with the Bible's teachings on marriage and divorce. And it will give you an opportunity to minister them as they go through a difficult time in their marriage. Maybe there's an unbeliever you know or may come across in the future that is unaware that the Bible gives, gives um, an, a biblical approach to marriage difficulties. So, as I said in the in introduction, there is so much marriage and divorce going on that the Christian can fall into the mindset of believing, well, if I marry this person and it doesn't work out as I anticipated, well, I'll just go out and find myself another woman. Or I'll just go out and find myself a man and try again and again and again. Brings back pictures of the woman of the well. Five husbands. Singles, picture this. You've been dating your fiancé. You followed all the Christian principles for courtship. You've been through counselling. You've been chaperoned while dating. There's been no physical intimacy between you both. So you get married and you move in together. You slowly, you slowly start to discover things about your spouse that you don't like. Maybe she snores. Maybe he wants to have control, the remote control. He leaves his dirty underpants all over the floor and never picks them up. He never puts the toilet seat back down. She has OCD. He may spend most of his time playing on game consoles whilst neglecting you. And you ain't happy. Well, 
This week, I've been married 25 years. Hallelujah. My wife has had to put up with me for 25 years. Can you imagine? And I'm not going to lie. Like every marriage, we've had disagreements and struggles at times. To the point where on occasion she said, you know what? Let's sell the house. You take half the money. I take the other half. You go that way and I'm going this way. <laughs> See you later. Now, in the heat of the moment, just for a second, split second, that can sound plausible. That was until I started studying for today's message. It changed my whole perspective. Check this verse. I don't, I don't, it's not going to come up there. Malachi, Malachi 2.16b, I hate divorce. This verse expresses the seriousness of divorce in the eyes of God. So why is this a problem for the believer? Well, it's here in verse 10. Paul says to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. You see, Paul is referring here to Matthew 19. And Jesus is teaching on divorce and remarriage between Christians. In it, Jesus will answer questions put to him by those religious leaders. Them Pharisees again. They're trying to trap him because they were jealous of his popularity among the people. So, Matthew 19. Let's look at verse 3. Let's look at that conversation. And we're going to be jumping in and out of Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. So we're just, I'm just going to feed a bit at a time. So in verse 3, the Pharisees come up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to put a one, away one's wife for any cause? Sorry, is it lawful to divorce? Put away, same thing. To divorce one's wife for any cause. Not big cause, little, any cause they're saying. Now Jesus will reference um, Genesis 24, Genesis 2.24 with his reply in verse 4 of Matthew. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In verse 7, Jesus will reference Deuteronomy 24 in verse 7. Let's look at verse 7 first. I think it's going to come on, yeah, it's going to come on screen. Okay. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? For the context, let's look at the verse that they're referring to in Deuteronomy 24.1. Um, my version, I think the ESV is going to come up, but my version is some other version. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out all morning what version it is, but it, it's, it says the same thing. Okay. If a man chooses to enter into marriage with a woman, 
but she finds herself displeasing to him because he has found something objectionable about her. He must draw up divorce papers, hand them to her, and send her out of his house. Wow. Now, there's a religion out there that I'm not going to name, but apparently, if you say to your wife, I divorce you three times, that's the end of your relationship. So I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Right, laters, marriage done. Obviously, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna relay what that religion is, but there is one out there. So the Pharisees point Jesus to their incorrect interpretation of this verse. They are trying to trap Jesus. Sorry, they are trying to trip Jesus up regarding a theological point found in the Old Testament law by pitting him against Moses in order to discredit him. Now, let's look at verses 8 and 9 of Matthew. Jesus tells them why Moses allowed divorce. Verse 8. He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, wife is set for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. You see, Jesus debunks their claims. He forced them to, to confront the real reason for divorce, which was the hardness of their hearts, caused by their selfish needs and wants. He made it clear that once a man and woman were married, God would no longer consider them two separate people, but one flesh. You see, God's ideal for marriage has always been one woman and one man for life. Remember, God hates divorce. Now, here are some schools of thought on the subject of divorce. Now, there are some who hold a strict view on divorce. They believe, they believe the Bible does not allow for divorce and remarriage under any circumstances. Some are very liberal with their views. They believe that the Bible allows for divorce and remarriage for any reason. Others take a less lenient view. They believe the Bible allows for divorce and remarriage under some circumstances. And then there are those that believe it is permissible to divorce, but not to remarry. Now, there are some other thoughts that rightly, rightly need to be considered here. We know that Jesus allowed for divorce and remarriage in cases of sexual immorality. But let's consider this. Consider the wife whose husband turns to drugs and begins to physically abuse her and threaten the children. How about the husband's wife who turns to alcohol and begins to physically abuse him and neglect the children? If the spouse has to leave the home then why should, they, why should the divorced believer remain single? Why shouldn't they just go out and marry someone else? Well, 
Paul answers that in verse 11. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. You see, because it leaves the door open for, res for reconciliation. That's a big word. Re realize, though, that reconciliation doesn't happen overnight. The couple need counseling. The, the abused spouse shouldn't return to the abuser unless they have shown genuine repentance and, de de and dealt thoroughly with that sin and de demonstrated a prolonged change of lifestyle. But what if the abuser is unrepentant? They refuse counseling and are not interested in reconciliation. They say, you know what? I'm happy the way I am. I don't care what anyone says. I ain't changing. Does that mean that the abused spouse should remain single for the rest of their lives? Now, controversial. Now, you may disagree with me, and that's fine. We can talk about it when I see you again. Remember, even the greatest of scholars haven't always agreed on interpretations of certain texts in the Bible. So here's my conviction regarding this very difficult and sensitive subject. Remember, we're not talking convenient divorce. My wife bun up the breakfast and I need to put her away. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking marriages with very serious problems going on in them. Now, this is how I see it. If the, if the abuser stubbornly refuses counselling and disregards all efforts towards reconciliation, he or she is in sin. Even if they are in a church, they are living in disobedience to the word of God. And the steps outlined by Jesus in Matthew 18 should be followed. So let's remind ourselves of those verses. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take two, one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see, if he or she refuses to repent, they should be excommunicated from the church. You treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, you treat them as an unbeliever. And Paul says in verse 15 of, this, of our text today, which we're going to get to in a little while, that if an unbeliever wants out, let them go. 
you are free to remarry. Remember though, that every effort must be made towards reconciliation because that is the ultimate goal. Another consideration is that children are sometimes involved in, in divorce. And we've all seen and heard about the devastating effects that divorce can have on them both physically, so both psychologically, Psycho, psychologically, thank you, brother, and spiritually. This is why every effort needs to be made to reconcile the marriage. Now, there's another way, but that's in God's hands. Romans. 7 2. For if the married woman, sorry, for, the, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now, before anyone starts to get any funny ideas, we better move on. Brother's getting poisoned out here. <laughs> Man stops eating what his wife cooked. <laughs> Okay. So number two, number two. I spent more time in that one because it was, I think, the hardest one out of the, out of the three to, to digest and, and to think about and to meditate on. So point two. These are believers who are married to happy unbelievers. So let's look at verses 12 to 14 of our text. Verse 12. To the rest I say... I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now there was a new problem which presented itself in Corinth. You see, after Paul had come and preached the gospel to them, a husband in a family would accept Christ, but the wife would not. And in another family, it might be that the wife would accept Christ, but the husband would not. What were believers to do in such circumstances? Paul says in verse 12, God didn't give direct instruction on this topic, I, not the Lord, but if he did, this is what he would say. Remember, Paul is being used to pen God's eternal word. So, if the unbeliever has an unbelieving spouse who says, baby, I love you. I want to stay with you. Paul says, then don't divorce them. And don't make their life a misery in order to get them to, to, to leave. You know, some people will try that one. 
They left. <laughs> you see, some of these Corinthians thinking was that God could not be glorified if they were married to an unbeliever. And that somehow they would be defiled. So, the, so the, for the sake of spirituality, you know what? I need to divorce them. To these, Paul says, no, 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 no. Let not him divorce her. And let her not divorce him. But wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says that Christians must not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Doesn't it? Now, the spiritual, the spiritual concern is a valid reason for not marrying an unbeliever. Yeah? That's what that verse is talking about. But it's not a reason for ending an existing marriage to an unbeliever. It's not a reason for ending an existing married marriage to an unbeliever. The Apostle Paul counsels her not to do this. And this advice should still be followed. She should still love her husband and seek to make him happy. She should still be a kind, affectionate and faithful wife. Even more so than before, so that she may show him the excellencies of Christianity. You see, in verse 14, the unbelieving, it says in verse 14 that the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. And if there are children in the marriage, they are made holy. Now, what in the world does this mean? Well, first let's tackle what it does not mean. What it doesn't mean. We must understand what Paul means when he says that the unbelieving family member is made holy because of the believing family member. It's not talking about salvation. No, it's not talking about salvation. It does not mean that the unbelieving spouse has entrance to the kingdom of heaven at the point of death by virtue of being married to a Christian. What it means is this is that there are blessings that come sorry there are blessings that follow those who are believers and the family get to enjoy the blessings that fall upon the life of that one believer in the home the unbelieving spouse will take part in those blessings that come into the home and the children will also be partakers of those blessings remember it's the goodness of god that leads to repentance. So you never know. So, the final group. Believers who are married to unhappy unbelievers. Let's look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, if you've done everything you can to be that godly spouse, but that unbelieving spouse is adamant 
that they want out of the marriage. They say, you know what? Bruv, you're brainwashed. You Bible basher. Forget that Jesus stuff. You're nuts for believing that stuff. And you ain't going to get me in no church. I want a divorce. Then Paul says here in verse 15, let them go. You are no longer bound to the marriage. Now this happened to a dear brother of mine. He was married to an unbeliever that she couldn't handle him being a Christian. And, um, you know, she had no intention of becoming a Christian. And the marriage actually broke down. But praise God, I think he's now remarried. See, verse 15 clearly states that it is the unbeliever who has made the choice to separate. The unbeliever has made the choice to separate. A number of years back, I was working with a guy at my old company. Well, no, still my company, just got bought out. But I was working with this guy. And uh, I remember giving him a track once at a tube station. And he was like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want that. But years later, he started getting involved with his local church and started to talk to me about it. And um, he seemed like he was on his way to becoming a Christian. He was doing Alpha course and stuff. Um, he actually left the job before I found out. But he, he, he said to me, his wife's reaction was, you know what? I didn't marry a churchy. No, I ain't having none of that. You need to change. And I, I don't know where it went from that. But that's just a, an example Um, so, you cannot beat someone into following Christ who is adamant that they don't want to. John 6, 44a says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. This leads us nicely into verse 16. So, verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, this verse doesn't mean that you ladies can go and do some evangelistic dating. Go out and find yourself an unbeliever that you think that you're going to marry him and lead him to the Lord. No. That's not what this verse is talking about. Listen. After all that we've, gone, we've read through and we've, we've looked at today, no man is better than a waste man. Paul ends here with a great deal of hope because many Christians who are married to unbelievers are disheartened now. You should know that with faith and patience, they can look to God to work in their present situation as difficult as it may be. Christians married to unbelievers should know that, should know what Peter, 1 Peter 3 1 says. That your unbelieving spouse probably won't be led to Jesus by you sticking scriptures on the fridge. Or you texting Bible verses to them every every 10 minutes of the day. But by your godly and loving conduct. The reason why Paul mentions in this last verse why he does not advocate leaving your unbelieving spouse is because you might just be the one to lead them to Christ. So, some applications. 
as believers, our relationships with our spouses should reflect our relationship with God. It needs to be gospel-centered. We should all endeavor, we should also all endeavor not to be part of breaking up someone else's marriage. We should not sow seeds of discontent and point out another spouse's faults. When relatives and friends come to us for counsel or to vent, we should think of ways to help their marriage. Now, if you're going through a tough marriage, you may be thinking it's getting too late to overturn the mistakes made. Get help now. Don't suffer in silence. Please don't do what most couples do, is wait until the marriage is in effect over before asking for help. Speak to your pastor. Speak to an elder. Speak to a mature brother or sister in the faith. In the faith. Don't take it to the world. Don't be ashamed to seek help. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriages sometimes fit sometimes fail that would have done well except for circumstances that come along and put pressure on them. The loss of a child, financial ruin, the collapse of help, health. People who normally would have made good husbands and good wives sometimes crack under the strain. The point is this. If you, if you view divorce merely as a way out of an intolerable circumstance that you fell into, then you may miss the real work that could be done in your heart. What is it that God wants you to examine about yourself regarding your marriage and how you're treating your spouse? Are you trying to change God's order in marriage? and therefore living in disobedience to the word of God. Stop it. I beg you, if you're married, or if, you're, or if you get married in the future, do everything you can to keep those marriage vows and to make that marriage work. Don't assume that your problems could never escalate to the point of divorce. Deal with your conflicts and tensions when they're small. Ask the Lord to rekindle the love that should be at the heart of your relationship. Read Ephesians verse 5 starting at 21 and the following verses. Most people start at 22. Start at 21. There's an interesting verse there. Seek God's help and wisdom to be the best husband or wife that you can be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for speaking to us today, Lord, on this very difficult and sometimes sensitive subject. Thank you, Lord, for marriages, those that are looking to get married, 
And just to contemplate that marriage is not just something you just jump into and take for granted. There's hard work to be done in marriage. There are sometimes issues in marriage. And I know there's a lot of singles out there wanting to be married, but guess what? There's probably a lot of married people out there that would, would like to be single. But Lord, you understand, Father. You know where we're at. We pray for those that are seeking to get married, Lord, that you prepare them for that, Lord. You know, there's a preparation period. It's not just get someone, jump into it, and that's it. You need to, you need to develop that person so that they're ready for marriage when they do get married. Or else they might fall into the 42% bracket of divorce. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, we pray that you would, we would wait for your timing with regards to getting married. Lord, we pray that you would help us in our marriages, guide us, direct us. Show us your way, Lord. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.